hey, it's Ian Altman. People would come to me and say, can you build a community where we can interact with other people who are applying same-side selling to their business? And that's what we built with the Same-Side Selling Academy. Best of all, right now, it's totally free. So go to samesidesellingacademy.com, sign up there, and be a part of the community. And just, I encourage you to be an active member of that community. I look forward to seeing you there. Hey, gang, it's Ian Altman. My guest today is Dr. Theo Tzatzidis. Now, Dr. Theo is a neuropsychologist. He's the author of Brain Blocks, Overcoming the Seven Hidden Barriers to Success. He specializes in the neuroscience of success, really the brain science of goal achievement. His specialty is in training people's brains. Uh, Obviously a pretty smart guy. And he helps clients reach high levels of cognitive performance and mental fitness by training them to use their brains more efficiently so they can excel in their careers and businesses. Really brilliant guy. We're going to talk about the biggest obstacles that keep people from achieving success. We're going to talk about the seven brain blocks that hold people back, and then the steps you can take to overcome those blocks on your own and achieve better success. I'm telling you, I've taken a ton of notes on this episode. You're going to learn a ton from Dr. Theo Tzatzidis. Dr. Theo, thanks for joining me. Welcome to the show. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you so much. So before we dive into the grand world of neuroscience, tell our audience something surprising they may not know about you. Uh, So they probably know that I'm Greek because of my last name, and they can assume that I came to the U.S. for, um, for school, for college. And what they may not know is that the first place where I landed was in Iowa. And uh, as a person who grew up in a big city and uh, lived around people all the time, uh, being in the middle of Iowa in a very small town, there wasn't much to do. So I picked up a hobby that I'd never done before, and I never did since, but it was one of the things that really kept me uh, entertained and, and, and motivated and alive in Iowa. Which is? Which is, I did modern dance choreography. Really? Yes. Oh, thank goodness, because I thought you were going to say cow tipping. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was too cold for that. <laughs> modern dance choreography, which, mm-hmm. which naturally leads to neuroscience. They're so tightly connected. You know, uh, all the um, the planning and the balancing and the uh, coordinating that you have to do certainly contributes to brain growth. I can guarantee that. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. So before you start, before you started choreographing modern dance, you weren't nearly this smart, and then you did that, and then boom, magically, now you're in one of the most complex fields on the planet. And that's what started it all. Yeah, so now there's a whole bunch of people running off and putting their children into modern dance choreography classes <laughs> so they too can grow up to be neuroscientists. Exactly. You know, that actually, um, I also got butt-headed by somebody, um, I'm sorry, head-butted by somebody during the, the one of the rehearsals, um, which is probably the reason why I specialized later on in my life in uh, traumatic brain injuries. Yeah, I guess so. Because <laughs> you almost suffered one yourself. So, I did. So, so, by the way, for all of the, for all of the parents out there who are thinking to themselves, "There's no way my kid's playing football because of concussions." Modern dance could be just as threatening. 
<laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, walking on the street could be. Uh, as a brain injury uh, neuropsychologist, I have heard some really bizarre ways of getting of getting head injuries. So uh, the safest way is to just uh, stay at home, keep a pillow over your head, and you're good. <laughs> and for the rest of us, we're just going to have to roll the dice. <laughs> Uh, yes, and when if something happens, you can always contact me. I'll be very happy to give you tips. <laughs> so, so Dr. Theo, what I want to get your insight into is, as someone who has spent many years helping people train and retrain their brains, what are the biggest kind of traps or um, misconceptions or kind of elements that hold people back from achieving their potential – as it as it relates to how their brains operate one of the one of the biggest advantages and also the biggest disadvantages of our brains is that we learn fast and learning is essential for any kind of success uh, learning new uh, technologies learning new concepts uh, practices um, remembering facts uh, remembering strategies but the problem is that our brain doesn't tell apart good things from bad things so we learn we develop good habits as as quickly and as easily as we develop bad habits and one of the one of the things that i notice is that a lot of the work that I do has to do mostly with unlearning those bad habits uh, and replacing them with with more effective, more productive, more constructive habits. And unlearning is is tough. So, so for example, what types of things like what what I think of is in a business setting. A lot of times, there are people that ha that have self limiting beliefs or they always do certain things, and no matter how much they hear from other people. They just, when they're in stressful situations, they revert back to the old method that they know in their heart doesn't work, but they just can't help themselves. So is that some of what we're talking about is people just develop those habits and then even though they know better, they still do it? That's exactly right because a belief is nothing else than a, a habit of thought, right? So you start with – uh, you know, you get a message from your environment, your parents tell you certain things, or you see how they interact with one another, with the world, with in their businesses, and you start developing patterns and you start learning. So if, if they tell you, for example, something like, uh, you don't need to make a lot of money to be happy, that's a message you start repeating to yourself. And it's something that uh, over the years becomes such a, such an entrenched set of thoughts and, and thoughts from a neuro, you know, let's go into neuroscience. Now, what it translates into very strong neural connections. Okay. Uh, that's what learning is about, right? So then later on in life, you are, you are faced with opportunities, you're faced with possibilities to advance uh, your business, to make more money, but something holds you back now because you have that belief that says that, well, is that the right thing to do? I don't need to make money to be happier, to have a successful business. So, so, so it could even be that the, so that your brain eventually builds these connections that not only doesn't, does it think to itself or does it come to believe that I don't need money to be happy? It's almost like it starts to, it, you start to convince yourself that, and if I make more money, maybe I won't be happy. Yes. Because now money becomes a trigger, right? So the thought of money 
brings up all these messages that, well, you don't need money to be happy. Money will bring unhappiness. Uh, people who make money are not ethical. You know, all sorts of, especially money is such a trigger for people, all sorts of uh, limiting beliefs and uh, people don't challenge them and they don't, they're not always aware of them. It takes some uh, very good insight and then a lot of work to understand to, to identify those limiting beliefs so, so how can people tap into and understand their own self-limiting beliefs whether whether it's people who are afraid to make phone calls to reach out to potential clients whether it's business people who are hesitant to embark on a new pursuit um how can you figure out what your limiting what your self-limiting beliefs are to address them in the first place. Mm. That's where I started uh, my, my, my most, most recent work, which has to do with uh, the neuroscience of action. Uh, you know, making a phone call, having a sales conversation, uh, pitching an idea, all of those are actions. And what uh, prevents us from taking these actions are the, the way we have trained our brains to interact with the world. Uh, so, the one thing that I started helping people be more mindful of is those those moments that I call brain block moments. And brain block moments are moments where you're not really taking the actions that serve your goals. You may either not take an action at all, so you don't make that call, or you uh, revert to something more familiar. So instead of making this call, maybe I should work on something else, or maybe I should send an email instead because the call feels a little more uncomfortable. Um, so, the, so the call might give me instant feedback that says the client isn't going to do business with me, so there's more risk. But if I send an email, then, well, I've, I've got plausible deniability. Um, maybe it doesn't hit me in the chest the same way. Maybe it won't sting as much. So I'll just make a phone call or send an email, even though you know the email is less likely to generate a successful outcome. Exactly. You know that ultimately you want to have a personal connection with people. So the email may be a good substitute, but what it does, it, it really gives you some distance and that makes you feel safe. So here's where the limiting belief may be. I may say to you, you know, I'm much better on email than I am on the phone. Uh, and I, I may believe that. So the phone call, there's some fear involved there because, well, what if I don't get my message across? What if I sound weird? What if I sound awkward? What if they, they uh, are nasty to me and then I, I don't want to be uh, abused on the phone? So the email is a safe way. But now I also reinforce that belief that, oh, I'm better on email, so let me just keep using email, as opposed to confronting my fear uh, of making that call, having that conversation. And that's where you know, one of the brain blocks is self-doubt. Um, and self-doubt is really uh, stems from the, uh, the mistake that we make to overestimate the, the magnitude of a threat, you know, how likely it is that uh, this person will respond negatively in an abrasive way. And even if they do, uh, what that will do to me, it will crush me if somebody yells at me on the phone and, uh, or if, if somebody rejects my, my offer. And also from lack of experience. 
Uh, remember, we're talking about neurons that we're really training to make connections with other neurons. So if we don't train these neurons, if they don't make these connections, if I don't get more comfortable talking to people on the phone, I will always have this reluctance. I will always be hesitant to pick up the, the phone and call. Yep. Now, now, you wrote this book, Brain Blocks, Overcoming the Seven Hidden Barriers to Success, and which I'm sure – as soon as my audience hears that, they think, "Well, what are the seven hidden barriers?" And I know we're not gonna we're not gonna read the entire book to people because that would be a little bit awkward. Um, they can certainly go on to Amazon or or Google it, and we'll have links in the show notes so they can get the book. But what what are the big barriers that you see? I mean, one of them I'm assuming is this self doubt mm -hmm. or or the or the belief. But what are these things that really inhibit us? And then and then I'm gonna want to get to what we can do to train our brains to get a better outcome. Mm, absolutely. So, you know, the, the seven hidden barriers uh, is a little bit of a trick because if you look at the list of brain blocks, we we recognize them. And a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, I do that. Yes, I, I have that. So, for example, procrastination is one of the brain blocks. Uh, and who here can claim that they have never procrastinated? Uh, or perfectionism. Dude, I'm an expert one. on procrastination. <laughs> Well, can you give me some tips? Because I've been very productive lately and it worries me. Yeah, if you're too productive and you want to procrastinate and put things off that you shouldn't, I'm your guy. <laughs> so so self-doubt, you said procrastination, perfectionism, is that what you said? Perfectionism, another yeah. one where we actually pride ourselves on being perfectionists without realizing that it actually is a detriment to our productivity. Yeah, I, I have a child who's like that who – will say, well, I, you know, I don't want to turn this in. I don't want to do it because it's not perfect. Now, this is a child who is, you know, in the 99th percentile um, across the board, but um, oh. is convinced that, that you know, in, in, in their mind, if they take the SAT, SAT out, of 16, out of 1,600, if they got 1,580, yeah. their thought is, well, I got 20 wrong. I got 20 points wrong, not I'm in the 99th percentile. But yeah. So they are in the 99th, they're not in the 100th percentile. Yeah, which, which, which statistically you can't be, and she's smart enough to be able to tell people, right. <laughs> well, I'm not in the 100th percentile, because the 99th percentile is 99 to 100. So she understands that she's as high as you can be, but, but if I'm not 100%, what does that mean? I think it's part of the maturity. I think she's starting mm. to understand now that that's okay. And being the 99th, 99th percentile is a pretty good place to be. But when she was much younger it would be an issue. Like she would come back and she would take a test and, and get 98% and say, well, I don't know how I missed that 2%. And we're like, we don't care. <laughs> like it doesn't matter. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't matter. You, maybe you were tired. Well, but I shouldn't be tired when I'm taking a test, but maybe you were, it's okay. <sighs> so, so we've got self-doubt, procrastination, perfectionism. We have uh, impatience, which is the phenomenon of wanting quick results, of being really uh, upset with ourselves when what we want is not happening as fast as we want it. And I see that so much with my clients where, you know, they come in and they tell me, how long is this going to last? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't tell you. And yeah. I can't promise you that, oh, you're going to get great abs in three weeks. Uh, Nobody well, has you, got you, you could promise that if you were producing infomercials, but for the rest <laughs> of the free world, you would know it wouldn't be true. 
Yes, I, I yes, exactly, and I, I would never. I, I, like, my ethics would not allow me to, to exactly. make any such promise. Uh, so, impatience is the other one. Very often, people get in trouble because they they, you know, they act before they think it through. They they have a plan in place, but they just kind of like ignore the plan and just go with their their impulse. And in some ways, this may serve you, but in other ways, it it won't. I mean, we put plans in place for a reason. Sure. Uh, the other one is multitasking. And uh, I know that we're very aware now that multitasking is not really a good thing, that uh, we used to brag about that on our CVs. I'm a good multitasker. And there is no such thing as a good multitasker. Multitasking divides your attention from 100% to different portions. So some smaller percentage goes on one task, some smaller percentage goes on another task. You ultimately are not giving your 100% focus and attention to what you need to uh, be working yeah, on. It's, it's, it's kind of funny because when it comes to multitasking, I, I, for the longest time, I believed that, no, no, I can do multiple things at once and I'm fine. And I discovered the impact of multitasking in the stupidest task, which is I have like uh, on my smartphone, I have a, a game that's like a little golf game. And... And I mean, it's a, it's a mindless game. It's a good thing where I, it's like, you know, if I'm looking to really procrastinate, it's a great tool. And, um, and so if I'm just like alone in a room playing it, I'm mm. virtually unbeatable. And if I'm in the same room where the dogs are playing and just there's a slight distraction, if the TV's on, if one of the kids is in the room, I'm like – half as good at the game is if there are no interruptions. And I all of a sudden thought to myself, man, if that's what's happening in a stupid game, what is going on in the rest of my life when I'm multitasking? And it's funny because that gave me the realization that said, you know, I need to be solo focused on what I'm doing at a time or I'm missing stuff that I don't even know about. Yeah, I'm smiling now because I'm an avid Tetris player on my phone and, yeah. you know, I could challenge anybody. I would beat them on Tetris. So I, what I do is I live in New York City, so I take the subway a lot. And uh, on my subway ride, I listen to audiobooks. But I also play Tetris because, you know, I got to do something with my hands. God forbid we just focus on one thing, right? And I notice how often I have to go back and rewind because they said something important in the book and I just didn't get it and I need to go back and get it. And so the, the, the multitasking, not only does it not make it possible for me to listen and get the information from the book, but over time what it does, it makes it almost hard to do one thing without doing something else in addition. Like we, we need to keep tickling our brains more because one thing is not enough. Wow. That's where, you know, mindfulness and attention training are really, really important. I love it. I love it. So multitasking. Multitasking. So we have self-doubt, procrastination, impatience, perfectionism, perfectionism multitasking. Multitasking. Rigidity. Okay. Rigidity. So in, in neuroscience terms, we call that um, uh, – Cognitive rigidity and the opposite of it is cognitive flexibility. So rigidity is the uh, inability to uh, adjust to changes or to create your own changes. So you have one way of thinking and those of you who are managers and bosses, you know what that means. You have one way of thinking and that's the right way. And rigidity makes it very difficult to 
learn from our errors. It makes it very difficult to accept and incorporate feedback. It makes it very difficult to change opinions about something. And we keep doing things that uh, don't work, but we become almost obsessed with with uh, trying out the same thing over and over. It's, you know, rigidity is where um, persistence becomes perverse perseverance is what I like to call it. Yeah, it's, by the way, it's interesting because where I see this manifest is another one of our children. If if they get in the mindset that like, okay, we're going to go out to dinner and we're going to go to this place and I'm going to order this meal. If all of a sudden we say, you know what, we're not going to go there. We're going to this other place. When they were younger, they would just like lose their mind. It's mm. like, no, no, but, but, but I've already like, I've already thought out where I'm going to sit and what I'm going to order and how it's going to make me feel. And like, like I'm, I'm done. So I can't deviate from that, from that approach because I'm already locked into it. And it took us a while to get this child to like say, okay, so listen, I know that's one place you'd like to go. What are one or two other places that might work for you? So that way we can now make a decision between these multiple places, not just one option and only one option. And they, mm -hmm. and, and early on it would be like, okay, well, so my options are go to this place or not that place or not that place. We're like, yeah, those aren't three options. <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, and imagine how much more difficult that becomes with um, uh, college choices later on. Well, I really wanted to go to this school, but now, you know, I, I didn't get in. Yeah, we had that that's too. That's the end of the world. We, we, had, that, we, had, we, had, yeah. we had that one going on too. So we've, you know, all of a sudden you're, 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 um, you're going through these. We're, we're at six of seven right now. And I'm thinking, man, we need some serious help. <laughs> so so what, what else? What, what's our seventh one? The seventh one is negativity, the uh, fine art of complaining, <laughs> complaining about yourself, about others, about the state of the world, uh, without really being willing to do anything about it. And uh, negativity is really where the information that we have stored is preventing us from making uh, rational decisions. Yep. We are biased in our thinking. So, so now that we know these seven brain blocks, if you will, and I realize you have a whole book on how to overcome these, mm -hmm. which as I said, we'll, we'll have a link to it in the show notes, but what are, what are a couple of things that people can do if they notice themselves falling into one of these traps or if mm -hmm. someone who works for them is falling into these traps what are some of the steps that people can take on their own to start making a little bit of progress? I mean, I realize in the most severe cases, this is when they seek professional treatment, but there's probably situations where people say, you know, that perfectionism thing kind of applies to me, but you know, I just guess I have to live with it. And there's probably some things they can do if we, if we got a little guidance. So mm. what, what kind of, what kind of steps can people take? This is great. And I want to go back to something that you said, because it's really, really important. These kinds of problems, these kinds of uh, brain blocks, like mental, uh, emotional and, and uh, behavioral habits are not really the ones that lead people to seek professional help. 
they people don't see those as good enough reasons to go to a mental health professional, for instance, or a, a psychologist, or somebody like me who's an expert in brain training. They try to get by on their own, and these these barriers can keep them stuck in place, can keep them frustrated and overwhelmed, uh, but they don't warrant enough, you know, they're not severe enough to say, I need to go see somebody, I need to seek help. And the help doesn't have to be, you know, a psychiatrist, it can be other types of help, other types of support. So the uh, the first thing that I, I train people in is is awareness to be able to catch themselves in these brain block moments that, oh, what I'm doing right now is actually uh, a manifestation of self-doubt. Or what I just said that I said, well, you know, this doesn't really work. It's an, it's an um, a manifestation of negativity. And once you learn how to catch yourself in the moment, acting a certain way, saying certain things, thinking certain things, telling yourself certain things, then uh, you have done... 50% of the work. Uh, the other 50% is how do I how do I how do I change that around? And that's where the work that we do has to do with uh, teaching people skills so that they can become uh, mentally more flexible. That they can come, they can uh, train their attention. They can become more uh, focused. They can turn on their motivation up and down. They can check their beliefs and then uh, find ways to challenge those beliefs and reframe them. Uh, so the, the the skill building is a big component. How do I make my brain stronger? How do I make it more flexible, more nimble? Uh, the other big thing is structure. Uh, one of the foundations of brain training is is how to build structure. And I'm going to tell you something new that I'm working on now, which is just defining structure in, in five simple steps so that People know exactly what we mean when we say have structure in your life. Structure really means a task, a place, a time, the tools, and the rules. So whatever the task is, you need to know what is it that I need to do, when am I going to do it, the time, where am I going to do it, where am I going to work on this, the place, the tools, what do I need to have with me, and then the rules. See, Theo, right now I'm smiling from ear to ear because I got lucky implementing something that works really well. And I, I was never aware of this, so I got lucky. There's a one of the things that I developed is a game called Same Side Improv. So from, from our book, Same Side Selling, it's how do you implement these methods in a way that you can practice and reinforce and rehearse with other people so when you get in these high-pressure situations, you can be effective. Mm -hmm. And so what I always tell people is, look, so what you're going to do is you're going to play this improv game. And there mm -hmm. are three characters in each one. There is a salesperson, a client, and an observer. You should do this for an hour each week over lunch. So during lunch... You know, if everyone's got a salad or a sandwich, the observer can eat while the other people are doing this. You'll spend one hour doing it. Each round is a minimum of 10 minutes with feedback afterwards. The tool is this same side improv deck, and here's the way we give people feedback. And printed in the deck are the rules that people can do. And people get amazing results. Now, 
I just got lucky because I've got all these five pieces in there, <laughs> but I had no clue. And people were like, why is it so effective? I'm like, well, so the, the perfectionist in me says, well, it's effective because I developed it. And the realist says, I have no idea. I got lucky. So <laughs> you know, that's the, those are the two sides, but I'm, I'm happy. I'm like, wow, that must be why this works. <laughs> that's great. That's actually a very, very, uh, um, good implicit use of those of those rules. And notice what I did is I just gave structure to the concept structure. Yeah, right. Now that's great. Um, speaking of improv, actually, I'm starting to incorporate improv exercises in my brain training because they are phenomenal in so many ways in making us uh, more attentive, more creative, uh, more fearless too. That's that's fantastic. So so the the idea in terms of the steps is first the awareness side of it, so you know mm -hmm. what you're doing when you're doing it. The second is kind of the skills development side, which is developing the skills to cope with those, and then it's having the structure around it, so that way you actually have a a, a structure and a framework you're working within. It's not just oh yeah, figure it out. We're actually putting parameters that give us a way to execute this successfully. Right. We're trying to make it as easy for our brain as possible to do the good work. So instead of having to recreate or reinvent the wheel every time to say, oh, what should I be working on or where should I do it? Uh, what do I have? To? We just put that in place so we can just go right in and do the work and do it well. That is absolutely brilliant and um and we're gonna we're gonna leave it there because uh, right now, if people took as many notes as I did, they're they're probably just about to run out of ink. So, so Dr. Theo, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing? Because there's really some remarkable stuff that I'm sure people are gonna want to learn more about. I'm available uh, on on LinkedIn, and I also have a, a blog on PsychologyToday.com. It's called Smashing the Brain Blocks. Yep. And we'll include that in the show notes. So it's psychologytoday.com slash blog slash smashing dash the dash brain blocks. But mm -hmm. we'll have links to all that in the show notes so that way people right. have access to it. And um, I'm telling you, just great stuff and and identifying those brain blocks and being, to being able to overcome those um, is something that I'm sure will have a profound impact on a lot of people here. And also just wanted to add in that if people wanted to just get a bit first flavor of what uh, uh, the book is about, I have a free chapter. I have the procrastination chapter available on my website, smashingthebrainblocks.com. Oh, cool. Uh, where they can download it, take a look, and start uh, deprocrastinating sooner. Dude, well, but, but then they have to find time to actually read the chapter. So that's, but it would be a great way to procrastinate from the other things you were hoping to do. Now you can use this as, as an alternative. That, that'll be my thing. When I, have a, when I have a critical deadline, that's when I'll go back and download it again. So, all right, Dr. Theo. Well, thanks so much for, uh, for sharing your ideas and wisdom and uh, really enlightening stuff. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Man, Dr. Theo is just absolutely brilliant. And as a guy who's a neuropsychologist, um, I think my brain needs some retraining after all the information he shared. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key information I think you can use and apply to your business right away. And the biggest thing comes back to these brain blocks. So Dr. Theo shared with us these ideas of self-doubt, self procrastination, perfectionism, impatience, 
multitasking, rigidity, and negativity, that ever-popular gift of complaining. And this idea of being first aware and then developing skills and then the structure, any applied structure to structure, I think gives us the framework to really solve these challenges that might be obstacles that are preventing us or our team members from achieving amazing results. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. So if there's a topic you think I should cover, if there's a guest you think I should have on the show, just fire me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. I look forward to seeing you also in the Same Side Selling Academy. Just visit samesidesellingacademy.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everyone can embrace, even your customer.